You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Let's get into God's word, um, but in a minute, let me, let me pray first. Father, I come to this morning, um, you know, I, my voice is tired and I am tired. Um, I don't want to get that, let that get in the way, I, but I, I do confess I need your empowering to be able to convey your word. And this last very intimate conversation, we've studied all these intimate conversations between Jesus and his disciples. I, I hope and I pray it's refreshed and deepened our walk with Jesus. So, Lord, I, I need your help. And I think we collectively need your help to be fully present to the living Christ who is found in the word. And so we ask this morning that you would show up in power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Matthew chapter 28 and starting in verse 16, here's what we read. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's holy and precious word. In this very same book in Matthew, same book, Matthew, chapter 17, you read about this very world-famous scene, which all of us now know is this famous event called the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration. And most of you know the story. It's the story of how Jesus only brings three of the disciples. He only brings Peter and James and his brother John up to a high mountain where some crazy stuff goes down on this high mountain. And Jesus on the mountain suddenly becomes what Matthew describes as, Matthew uses this word, he becomes transfigured in front of them. And so what happens is this normal-looking carpenter dude in front of the three disciples, suddenly becomes, Matthew says, shining like the sun and his clothes are like radiant white. Then, in addition to that crazy stuff happening, suddenly on the mountaintop shows up Elijah and Moses, who were the top two superstar heroes of the Old Testament, and they just show up on the mountain and they're just wandering around with Jesus like having coffee together. There was no coffee, but I mean, they were just chatting on the mountain. And then when this happens, what happens is Peter sees all of this good going on. Then Peter blurts out, which I love Peter because he just blurts things out. And Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And so uh, let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Now, I love what Peter says because I am so much like what he's doing there. Now, let me explain what's happening there, the backstory. Israel, they had this yearly holy festival. Israel had all these wonderful, amazing holy festivals. And one of them was called Sukkot. That's the Hebrew word for in your English Bible, it's translated the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of, uh, I think it's called Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkot. 
Um, and, and what it was, it was the celebration, and it was usually in the fall, kind of like our fall season, where they celebrated the goodness and the provision of God in the harvest, that the harvest had come in and let's celebrate together. And so what they would do to celebrate, they celebrated the, the provision of the harvest by setting up Hebrew word Sukkot, which stick shacks, stick huts in the streets of Jerusalem. So all the celebrators and worshipers would stream in from all parts of Israel into the, the flood the streets of Jerusalem, and they would set up these stick huts where they, for a week, would camp out under the stars with good food and good drink. So what you got to do in your mind, you got to kind of imagine this sort of like big family reunion slash worship celebration slash feast slash party slash camp out. All, that's what, it, what Sukkot was. But it was also this, because you can kind of almost imagine the festivity of it. It was also a celebration of the promised future to come. The future to come. It was supposed to be, every time they celebrated, an appetizer experience of, this is just a little bit of what the kingdom party is going to be like when God comes and sums up history. This is a foretaste of the party. So when Peter saw Jesus transfigured, and then walking around with the superstars of the Old Testament on top of the mountain, you know what Peter was really saying when he says, let's set up some stick shacks? He's saying, all right, God's promised kingdom's come. It's come. I got in. Mission accomplished. I got in. Mission accomplished. Let's just set up the shacks. Let's wrap up human history and get the party started. That's why I'm telling you I can relate to Peter. Because my friends, me and you are a whole lot like Peter. It's very easy to experience the goodness of the abundant life that comes from knowing Jesus and feel like mission accomplished. To feel a little bit like, I'm in, I'm safe, mission accomplished. To just want... Maybe not even trying to do it purposely, but just kind of like, I know Jesus now. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to be a part of that party. So to do things in your power to kind of try to push the world because the world's filled with conflicts and violence and bad things and darkness. And you try to push it as far away to the farthest extremes as you can and then set up some kind of camp for the rest of your life with Jesus until he takes you to heaven. A lot of Christians, we do this. Or maybe it's not just completely about yourself. I'm in, I'm safe, mission accomplished. Maybe for you it's more of a, well, we're in, we're safe, mission accomplished. To be like really happy, and and I understand this, to be relieved that so many of your dearly loved family members and your kids and your friends, they know Jesus, they're in with Jesus. And so to have you kind of leaving you that sense of like, okay, mission complete. There's just something about that in every believer, and I'm, part, I'm one of them too, who has tasted the goodness of God, received God's gift of eternal and abundant life. We just want to set up some kind of camp in the good and gracious space that Jesus gives us out of his grace, and then somehow in our lives live as if the mission's accomplished. So today, we're finishing this study that we've been doing in this false study called Come, Follow Me where we've been looking in the book of Matthew, Matthew was one of the disciples, and studying what is happening in these very intimate conversations Jesus is having with the 12. Because I think, and I I know, we all, the church, the church worldwide, the church in the West, the church in America, this church, 
look, we all need to double back and listen to Jesus a little more critically, a little more seriously, and deepen our walks with Jesus. And so I wanted to go, what, what pops out of these intimate conversations? And let's review some of the things that we've heard, because I want, I want you to hear them again, because I, I, none of us have had any of these things mastered. The first thing that we heard was Jesus found some of these brothers on the Sea of Galilee, and he said, come and follow me. And we heard Jesus' clear call. I'm calling out to people who will re-engineer their lives around following me. How are you doing in that? How are you doing in the project on a daily, weekly basis? This is for your rest of your life. Of re-engineering everything about your life around following Jesus and Jesus first and foremost. And then there was another private conversation, and that was where Jesus saw the harassed nature of the people around him. And I love Jesus' compassion. And when he looked at them, he said to the disciples, he says, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of harvest out there. And then we heard his call through what he said to the disciples. is like, pray that God will bring workers into the harvest field. And by the way, be a worker. How you doing in that? You got that fully integrated into your life? I don't think I can say I have. And then another conversation comes up. And the disciples, you know, they ask Jesus, they pull him aside. You remember this? And they say, why are you talking in parables? Why don't you just come out and just say it in like a little, really clear. Maybe we should borrow something from the 20th century and put what you're all about on a bumper sticker. Why don't you make it like really clear like that? And Jesus says, well, I'm talking in parables for a reason. And we heard the call of Jesus where Jesus says this, have a heart that is ready for active listening to me. For the rest of your days, have a heart that's always inclined to active listening to me. Not the talking heads that you have spent so much time and way too much time listening to. Active listening to me. How are you doing in that? And then we heard Jesus when he asked the disciples, he says, well, who do people say that I am? And they had all kinds of theories. And Peter actually got it right, which Peter himself was surprised. He got it right. And, and then he got it wrong after he got it right. And then we heard Jesus' clarion call from that. He says, I'm asking my disciples to be people who gaze at who I really am and what I'm really all about. Not glance at me when you kind of think you need to take a quick glance. Like, I'm doing everything else and I'll, I'll glance. What do you think right now? Okay, uh, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I won't. Jesus said, like, no, no, no. Gaze at me constantly, consistently for the rest of your days. How are you doing in that project? How am I doing in that project? And then there was another time when Peter pulls Jesus aside. Jeremiah Spears did a great job talking about this. And Peter thought he was being, you know, really big hearted. and said, should I forgive like seven times? And Jesus is like, let me blow your circuits. You need to keep forgiving to the degree that you have been forgiven by your Father in heaven. It is a constant work of seeking a heart that can reconcile. How are you doing in that project? How am I doing in that project? And then we heard another conversation where the disciples are having a debate about who's the greatest among them. And had the audacity to pull Jesus into the conversation and go, we can't settle who is in the highest rank. So Jesus, why don't you settle it? Who's the greatest? And Jesus goes, I have a solution. And he pulls a child into their conversation. Some scholars think it was Peter's kid. And Jesus just says, you want to know who my greats are? My greats in my kingdom are the people who surrender all concern about their rank. Those are who my greats are. I have to ask myself and I have to ask you, how are you doing in that project of discipleship to surrender all concern about your significance and your rank? And then 
we had another moment. Following that moment about greatness, then Mama Zebedee got involved were her sons, James and John. And she pulls Jesus aside into a private conversation. And she says, can they sit on your left and your right? You can decide which side, but can they sit there? And Jesus just goes, Man, you don't even know what you're talking about. And he talks to the guys, who go, can you drink the cup? And we heard Jesus's call when he pulls the disciples in. And he says, you got to understand that this has to be integrated into your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, that suffering and service will be an integral part of following me. It's a part of it. It's not a guarantee that your life will be worse. It's just saying, this is a part of it. Integrate that into your thinking. Suffering and service are a part of it. There's a cup that will be drank with your life. And then finally, last week, before we get into where we're going to go today, Devin did a great job where we met Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples who'd had four large glasses of wine, because that's what you do at a Passover meal, and late at night, and they're sleepy, but they can't stay awake when Jesus says, please pray with me. And we heard Jesus' call through what Devin taught, this, this idea of like, don't let the pursuit of comfort lead you away from loyalty to me. And we're in a society, we're in a culture where comfort is the thing. Comfort and consumption is our God, small g. And so do we hear that in our minds? How are we doing with that project of loyalty to Christ, no matter what it does with our comfort? And that brings us into this last, last scene of Matthew 28, verse 16. And this last intimate conversation is the very last scene, the very last words, the very last verses of the book of Matthew. And so much has happened in the couple of chapters since where Devin taught for us last week to where we arrive now. We read in the text from Matthew that Jesus was in fact, as he'd been telling, as we've been studying the whole thing, he'd been telling disciples constantly and loudly, this actually happened. What he told them was going to happen. He was betrayed. By one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot. He was denied vehemently with lots of fishermen's cursing, denied by Peter in the courtyard, even to a little 14-year-old girl. He was for, and he was then forsaken by the other ten who were so afraid of the authorities, they scrambled away in fear. He was found guilty by an illegal and unjust court. He was crucified on a cross. He died, was buried in a tomb. And then, the totally unexpected, he didn't stay in the tomb. And Matthew's gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they're coming to just take care of Jesus' body, and they discover he's alive. He has, he's out of the grave. The grave is open. He is, he's alive. And Jesus says to them in Matthew, he says, tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and I will meet them there. And that brings us into our text, where in verse 16 it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And so they all show up on some mountain near the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And then they see. I mean, what that have felt like, man. They see the resurrected Jesus, like, right in front of them. And they see him. And here's what Matthew admits about himself and his friends. In verse 17, look at it. He says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. So to a man, in that moment, they all are recognizing their friend was the man, God, God, man, man, God, who was like, had died 
but was now very much alive, like standing like right in front of them, and they were worshiping him. But I also love the admission of this. Some still doubt it. I love the brutal honesty of Scripture, of that admission. Their movement from unbelief and fear to complete trust was a stumbling and hesitant process. Does that sound familiar to your process, even up to this moment? Jesus' closest disciples are both ready to worship and honor him, and yet had still had some not totally sureness about it in their hearts. I'm sure you get it. Now, I want to say something before what happens next. As a communicator, if I knew my audience was a mixed bag like that, you're, you're getting it, and like some of you are not so sure, this would not be the moment to lay down a commissioning. Just, just so you know, for me, as a person who's done leading for a long time, I'd be like, all right, we, let's get everybody on the same page. Let's make sure everybody buys into this fully, 100%. Then I'll tell you what the mission is. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Does that resonate in your heart as we're about ready to go into here? Jesus isn't concerned about the state of your and my language. He isn't concerned about whether you get it 100% or whether you're still in a volatile state of still figuring out your... That doesn't That doesn't matter. At the same time, Jesus, he is clearly not concerned about this mix of belief and doubt that are found in his men as he goes on to commission them to participate in his worldwide mission. And he says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus never stopped being God while he was human. He was always God. He never stopped that. But the full exercise of the authority and the power that he could wield in this world had now been given. It had fully dawned as a gift from God the Father, from his his vindication and resurrection, but also his humiliation on a cross. Now it had dawned, and Jesus wields his power because of the cross and the resurrection. And because he wields that authority, he directs them, and I'll put it up on the screen, famous words, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, when you read the word go, you think, oh dear, I'm in this state of I'm still just trying to get out of this post-pandemic language thing. That means i got to go out of my way. Is that what that means? No, that's not what it means, actually. The word in the original language isn't go. Like, go way out of your way and be awkward and strange and weird, not only for yourself, but the persons you're trying to minister to. That's not what it's saying. It means as you go. As you go, as in... As you go about your life, lived in the familiar spaces and familiar relationships. I think we're all doing that right now already. We don't have to do anything different. We're living in familiar spaces and familiar relationships. And as you go, help others become apprentices to Jesus. Help them. Help them with your life. Are they becoming curious about Jesus? Is there something other enough otherworldly about your life of like what what's your story with your life like what's what is it what curious and then and then from there to help them from curiosity if the curiosity grows to then help them to be like interested 
Or maybe they want to know a little bit more. And then if they want a little bit know from it a little bit more, then you could describe who Jesus is to you and what he means to you. And then if they're open to it, to help them start to follow. To help them say, well, here's how you start. And then if they have started to follow, you're the part. It's not, you don't pay, you don't direct them to the paid professionals for this. This is you. You're the one who goes, I'll help you now. Follow Jesus. And then helping them to the point that they're baptized into an identity. Now, when we read it, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're reading it 2,000 years removed where the church, appropriately so, through church history and the later New Testament writings, is talk about, you know, we immerse people, we dunk people, we sprinkle people, our church dunks, into the, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We think that's what Jesus is saying. Well, actually, what Jesus was meaning in real time is what the meaning of the word baptism means. The word baptism, this, this you've heard me say this if you've been here long enough. It's one of my pet peeves. The translators have never translated the word baptizo in the English language. They just gave us a transliterated sound of it in English. The word baptizo, if we were to translate it, means to be immersed into identity. It was a term used to baptizing fabric. It was technically a fabric dyeing term. You take a piece of white fabric and you put it into red dye, the identity changes. So when they took that term in the Greek and they applied it to human beings, it's a term applying to the idea of you're, you're immersed into something that changes your identity, changes your name, changes your whole backstory. And what Jesus is saying is help these people come to the place where they're immersed so much in their life that they're immersed into the heart and the rhythm and the joy found within the Trinity. And they're learning what it means to feast within the family of the triune God. Yeah, and you can dunk them too. And, and then Jesus says, and then help them by teaching them to obey all of my commands, which if you look carefully... At all of Jesus' teaching, there's actually only one strong, emphatic command, which is also known as the great command. There's one. Teach them how to love their God and love their neighbor as they've learned through God's immense grace in their lives to love themselves. And so what we're seeing here is that part of being a real apprentice of Jesus includes participation in a mission. Folks, it's not just for me because I accepted some calling. It's not just for me. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for televangelists. Thank God it's not just for televangelists. It, it, it is for all of us. Being a follower of Jesus who is helpful in assisting others in becoming followers of Jesus. And because it's a mission, right, we all know Epic adventures and epic missions have highs and lows. That's just the nature of an adventure. It's the nature of a mission. And Jesus gives us the promise that when you go out in this epic adventure of helping others to become followers of Jesus, I will be with you always to the end of the age as you participate in this mission. So here's Jesus has called us. This is the last one of this conversation is help others follow me. Help others to be in this place where they can follow me. Help others to become a disciple and then sustain their personal discipleship. Look, the the truth is a day is coming. It's promised to us when the mission of God is going to be accomplished completely. Everything that is broken down in our world is going to be made new. 
Everything's going to be renewed, and it will be time to get the party started. There's a time promise for us for that. That day is not yet. This is not yet time to in any way set up a camp for just us and our loved ones. Now, look, when I say that, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy the goodness of God with your family and your friends and your other Christian believers. It just has to have an andness to your thinking. Where it's just, it's not just that, it's also and mission. This is not yet the time to think regular, average, ordinary, everyday believers that they just need to huddle in their Christian, Christian adjective bubbles. You know how we have like Christian adjective lives where everything is, Christian is an adjective to how we live, where it's like, I listen to Christian music and I listen to Christian radio and I have Christian books and Christian TV and Christian podcasts and Christian clubs and Christian friends and Christian, ah, this is not the time for that. And, And then leave the bringing of new followers to Christ to the paid professionals. If you're going to be part of this church, I just want you to know, none of us have signed on for that. This is not the time to think, uh, mission from God, that's just not for me for, as a follower of Jesus. You know, that's why I give God some money. So that he can have people like you, Andy, paid pastors and missionaries and televangelists and people like that. That's, that's their job. I just, don't, I just don't do this. This is not the time for that. And I, I, I do want to say this, though. When Jesus asks us, because maybe you're hearing me, you're going, oh, okay, now I'm starting to feel all spooled up inside and I'm feeling shame and guilt and everything. Okay, well, hold on, slow down. What, what we're not talking about here is that Jesus is saying to you, every time you get on a plane flight, the person to your right or the left, they need to know Jesus by the time the plane lands. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of pressure. I, I don't have a story like that. Every time I go to a pastoral conference and I hear stories, I'm like, dang, I don't have a story like that. I've never been able to do that. So we're not talking about that. But here's, we are talking about something kind of like, like this. Let me give you an example. The guy's name is Charles Lawson. You've never heard of him. I'd never heard of him. But he was a man who loved Jesus and followed Jesus. A man who was in the United States in the 1840s. Charles Lawson was a free black man, but was living in a little hovel shack near the shipyards of Baltimore, Maryland in the 1840s. Simple man. The story behind him is he prayed while he walked and he talked and he met people in the shipyards. And he shared his life, and he helped others as he could. But that's a key phrase, as he could. He didn't have a lot of resources, but he helped as he could. Especially, he had a heart, obviously, as a black man. He had a heart for slaves, and especially those who are escaping slaves, who are trying to make their way to the north to get to freedom. And he just helped them as he could. And he shared his faith with those who were open to it talking about it. And one of the people that he ended up helping was a 19-year-old slave named Fred Bailey. Kind of went by Freddie at the age of 19. And Freddie got to know Charles, and Charles got to know him, and they started kind of share life together as they worked on the shipyard, on putting pitch on ships in Baltimore, Maryland. And they got to know one another, and Charles began to tell Freddie the stories of the Bible. And Freddie loved the stories of the Bible. And then he got to start telling him about Jesus. 
and tell him how Jesus was like the climax of the whole stories of the Bible. And he actually led Freddie to come to know Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, a committed, passionate follower of Jesus. Which, in doing that, it opened up to Freddie the wider world of big ideas and books and knowledge and language and the power of language. And little did Charles Lawson know that young Fred Bailey would escape slavery. And not only that, he would rename himself and rename himself Frederick Douglass and become the prophetic voice against the evil of chattel slavery in, in America and become, as I, and I believe me, Alita can attest to this, I have almost every Abraham Lincoln book that there is out there, one of my great... Um, big fan of Abraham Lincoln, but I will be, admit to you from having read about Abraham Lincoln three-dimensionally, his process was very much an evolution of his thinking. And historians will tell us that Frederick Douglass was the voice, the loudest voice, who was the one to convince and help Lincoln's mind evolve about the slavery issue and was the voice leading him sign it to lead Abraham Lincoln to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, a believer. Jesus invites you and me into a Charles Lawson-like mission of life. Offering just basic kindness and love in the spaces and in the relationships where we live in a way that helps other people be kind of curious. Like, what, what, what's, what, tell me what's happening in you. You're a little different. And then out of the curiosity to be kind of like wanting to explore it a little bit. And then, and then maybe if they're open, you could help them start to follow Jesus and then maybe even help them deepen their apprenticeship to Jesus for however long you have a connection with them. And you do it trusting that our participation in the mission of God in that person's life will cast some kind of long shadow in their life. If not it being pivotal in world history, you and I never know, I never know the person I'm having coffee with could in fact become a Frederick Douglass type of figure in human history to absolve, or, or, to reduce human and suffering and have a pivotal moment in history. You don't know that that could happen in your life. But even if it's not, to always know trusting that when we're helping other followers, Jesus, that we are in that person's life helping when they start to follow, cast a long shadow of God's grace and love over their family and over their kids and over their grandkids and over their great-grandkids and over their neighbors and over their friends and all of it by just participating with Jesus and helping people follow. And here's what this means for us. In the book of Acts in chapter 1, it tells us Jesus met, after this scene in Matthew, Jesus met with the remaining 11 disciples one last intimate time, one last intimate conversation and, and meal together and I was reading, up, I was trying to go, where, which mountain was it? And scholars don't know. Was the mountain in Acts chapter 1, was it in Galilee? Some think so. Was it, some think it might have been the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. Don't know. But what we know was it was a high place. Again, a high place. And it included this high place, this picnic with Jesus. And once again, the disciples ask him, as they've been asking him all throughout Matthew, is it time? Is it go time? The, the way they phrase it is, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? As in, okay, Jesus, can, can, can we now say mission's accomplished? Can, can we say now? Is it mission accomplished? And here's what Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1. It's not for you to know 
the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we read in that passage, and suddenly, almost like the Mount of Transfiguration again, that this cloud of God's glory comes around them. But this time, Jesus doesn't, he's not there when the cloud disappears. He's gone. So Jesus ascends back up into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And then in Acts chapter 2, this gets fun, the Holy Spirit descends. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends to empower the disciples to continually prize the mission and make progress in that mission for the rest of our lives. So here's the call of Jesus, right? We've heard it this morning. Help others follow me. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we are called to continue to prize the mission and make progress in it. And by prizing the mission, let me suggest a couple things. First is this. You prize the mission, first of all, by honestly assessing which mission of your life is the one you're actually prizing. Like right now. Like just, and not, not out of a like guilt-shame thing, more out of, out of the grace of God. Just like in a safe space of God's grace, go, all right, I want to prize this mission, but first let me assess what is the mission I most prize. Is it, is it more money? Uh, expansion of my business, better living conditions, happy kids, more stuff, recognition. Which is it? And then compare the mission that we, in just being safe before God, can admit we actually prize and then it pre- pre- compare it against the mission Jesus has given to every believer and not just leave it up to the professionals. And the second thing we do to prize the mission is we continually hold a gratitude And I hope you never forget this, to hold this gratitude in your hands that somewhere along the line, 2,000 years ago, someone empowered by the Holy Spirit prized the mission enough to help someone who helped someone who helped someone who helped someone to be that someone who helped me start to follow Jesus. We prize the mission by that deep kind of gratitude. Somebody through the ages did it for me. And then third, we prize it by living with a concern for those who are hurting and they're harassed by life and they don't know about the hope of Jesus. And it's okay to admit, I don't really feel that. To say to Jesus, Jesus, do work in my heart so that I will feel that. We prize it. And then we keep finding ways to pursue the mission, knowing you have a Holy Spirit within you. I know you're afraid to talk about your faith. I hear it all the time. I know. But you have a Holy Spirit within you. One member of the Trinity resides within you to go, shh, when the anxiety wells up and say, I'll be with you. You you can help them. And, And the Holy Spirit can shush the fear and push you out in courage. The Holy Spirit has the capacity to get over you and push you beyond you and to bring you out in courage and to give you the words that you're like, I don't have the words. And the Holy Spirit can give you the words knowing you can make progress because the Holy Spirit's behind you and to do it to help people know the goodness and the love of God through your acts of kindness, but also to know the goodness and love of God through, yes, at some point it is a message. It's called good news, which is words. It's a proclamation. What the Apostle Paul says is this, quite simply, If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's a simple message. And I do have to say, if there's anybody here in this room who has not yet done that, 
right here today, could be the day of salvation, to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And as they get settled to lead us in worship, I want to leave you with a vision of where participation in Jesus's mission leads us. A vision, because I know here's what usually happens, right? When you talk about the mission of the church, share your faith and immediately we all go, "Uh I don't want to. Can I just tithe 10 bucks more and you do it? Right? I know we all, we all feel that. I, I have felt that. But, but I think what does a better job of inspiring people better than guilt is a vision. So let me read this vision to you. This comes from the book of Revelation and it tells us this. It says, then the angel showed me. If you need to close your eyes to just picture this, this is awesome. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That time is going to come. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to wrap up world history. The all injustices, the scores will be settled. The party will begin. That is coming. But until that day, what I want you to picture with that vision is there are people that are yet to be in that picture who Jesus needs us to help them get into that picture. Have that, hold that in your heart. Process that with the Spirit this afternoon. This picture of revelation that there are people that you are around and surround who Jesus wants you to help them get into that picture. Jesus calls us, help others follow me. Let's be a community of faith that prizes that mission and is making progress in it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for those people down through 2,000 years who were the someone to the someone to the someone who came to us as a someone and shared the good news of Jesus. They helped us and helped us not just pass saying yes to Jesus, but then what does it look like to follow him? How do I do that? God, I I pray that this is a church that can, out of love and courage, empowered by your spirit, be people who will help people become curious and then interested and then out of that interest to describe Jesus and then to help people come to follow Jesus and help people as, as they follow to become people who really are figuring out what does it mean to be a disciple. Lord, help us to be that. There are a lot of hurting, broken people in Santa Cruz all around us. Help me to be that. Us together be that. I am not perfect in this by any means. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.